are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. And I, I just, I don't hey know. there, Spock, old buddy. I see that you got my newest memo mandate that 90s hip hop is to be played each time I both enter and exit the bridge. I think it's really going to help morale. Sir, I am really trying to be kind right now. I am channeling all of my Vulcan mindfulness training. Your continuous mandates have become unlivable. What? Everyone loves my memos. Why well, see people reading them all over the ship? In fact, I'm sure that I've seen a few people even tear up at my very well-worded prose. Those might be tears, sir, but they are not tears of joy, I assure you. <gasps> I'm just trying to make things better for everyone. I know you mean well. Listen, let's open the show, and then we can talk some more about it, okay? All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Justine Mastin, LMFT, Yogini, writer, researcher, and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I'm Larissa Garski, LMFT, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer. And and this is ironic, considering my Vulcan background, but I feel like I do an awful lot of emotional labor on this ship. Hmm. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. Now, Spock, what were you saying? Um, well, I was saying that I know you mean well, sir. But lately, it's as if you're trying to run the ship like a, a feudal lord's f- fiefdom, fiefdom, regardless of pronunciation. It's feudal. Explain that. <laughs> well, um, I pausing because my cue reads "Explain the feudal lord system." <laughs> um, so I'm gonna give it a whirl. Depending on how in depth you want me to go, um, when we think of the feudal system, I would I take us to the British Isles, circa what? <laughs> The 12th century, maybe? Um, the dates I have to check, but it, it was about, you know, there was a lord and he had like all these different lands and he had all these these vassals. That's how I think of them. I don't know if that pronunciation is correct either, but I think of them as vassals. So all these just like poor, literally poor in the sense of they had real no material wealth because everything belonged to the lord, but poor also in the sense of their emotional well-being. Um, and they were all basically like slaves to the Lord. Um, They had their own little houses and that was kind of nice. And technically the Lord wasn't supposed to like abuse them, but he did all the time. And really they lived off the land. Like they could live there in their little shacks, but then they had, their job was just to tend the Lord's crops and fields and Scottish furry cows and what have you. Um, And you were, if you were born a serf, part of what they they called them the serfs you were born a serf you died a serf you couldn't work your way out of it um it was pretty awful but my subjects i mean i mean crew 
They don't hate me. They love me. Usually, yes, but not when you're telling them what to do based on whatever new idea has popped into your head and then dictated to Uhura. It's really cutting into her after-hours knife-sharpening time. My gods. What have I done? Well, Captain, in your defense, it's difficult to be both a firm and a kind leader. In fact, many times leaders don't even realize that they aren't being both. It's important to consider whether you're making decisions based on what's truly best for the many, the few, or the one, and as I think the earth in Shakespeare once had, uh, heavy hangs the head that wears the crown or something. Mm. The, uh, that's close. Mm. Um, that, that's, this is one of those things that gets colloquialized. Sure. Um, and I actually, I like heavy hangs the head that wears the crown better than how it is actually written. <laughs> how is it actually written? Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Oh, sure, sure. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Is that from Hamlet or one of the king's plays? Uh, Henry. 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 Four. You know, I'm going to unpopular opinion here right now. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that Shakespeare wasn't a great writer. Clearly, whoever signed their name, William Shakespeare, man, woman, gender non-binary, fawn, I don't know. But whoever, <laughs> whoever fawn. did it, whoever did the writing of the plays, obviously they had some good stuff in them. But I'm going to say on record right here and right now, those King's plays were the worst. Mm. I had to read them in graduate school. Not all of them, but a good chunk of them. And I can tell you that they were not great, you know? Macbeth was the best of the bunch. And actually, I don't think that Macbeth is considered to be part of the, the King's place. It's a separate. It's Macbeth. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you, you know you can't say that in a theater. Did like, you, what, not, what did you not know that? You, you can't what? say Macbeth in a theater. Why not? What happens? It's bad luck. You have to call it the the Dutch play? The Dutch which play? Whichever play it is, you have to call it that play. The Scottish play, maybe? The Scottish play. Yeah, yeah. Sc- I, was, I, was, I was like, listen, I don't remember a lot about William Shakespeare's play, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that Beth was not Dutch. <laughs> yeah, you have to call it the Scottish play. Uh, uh, Hamlet, Hamlet was Danish, right? He was a Dane. Yeah. You know yes. what? That's what I was messing up. Mm, sure. Because the, the Dutch the and the Danes are very close in my brains. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, were we doing a podcast? We were. And, you know, it's interesting that we think of Mac- that we're bringing up Macbeth because, in mm. fact, like, I, I think Macbeth is like a, a f- it's a bit of a stretch with what mm-hmm. we're talking about today. But... I mean, not Macbeth the play. Like, Macbeth in the play, it doesn't really seem like he has aspirations to be a good king, at least not as far as I remember it. But Macbeth, as told via Disney's mid-1990s Gargoyles cartoon. Oh! That Macbeth really aspired to be a a good king and a good ruler. I Um, can't believe... That mm-hmm. you were able to bring this to gargoyles. I know. <laughs> I mean, TBH, I'm pretty proud right now. <laughs> this has Cause, been cause years you've been, in the making. You've been watching it mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I have. I have. And uh, I'm like a third of the way through season two. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently season two is the last, I think it's the last good season. Season three is uh, critically disliked and derided. Um, but season two, holding strong. And there's and there's a great portrayal of Macbeth all around. And mm-hmm. um, he actually becomes very close with Demona, who is Goliath, the head gargoyle's ex-girlfriend. Hmm. And Macbeth is able to uh, take the take the crown and, and rule as a ruler because he basically does this kind of co-leadership thing with Demona. And um, she turns on him because she overhears a conversation in which he he kind of throws her under the bus to his teenage son. And his teenage son is like, whoa, dad, Demona's our friend. She's our homegirl. We need to talk nicely about her and also include her in all of our decision making. And Macbeth is like, and I'm not going to do a Scottish accent because I just can't. But he's like, <laughs> whoa there, son. A good king always thinks things through. Um, which is interesting that he frames it in that way because what he's really encouraging his son to do is to think through whether or not they should betray their best bud, Demona. Well, it kind of sounds like they're also thinking uh, if one is a king, one mm. should not ask for advice which is pretty much the worst thing that a ruler mm. can do True. is to is to rule in a vacuum and not get opinions from advisors who have conflicting opinions. Right, because then in that vacuum they could find themselves on memo 22 <laughs> of the uh, of the hip hop treatise of the hip hop treatise and in that vacuum they're like this is such a great idea when no, not a great idea. Not a great idea. Well, and I like that you brought up gargoyles also, mm-hmm. because when I think of Goliath, because our, our theme today is about compassionate leaders. We really right? buried the lead on this one. We, we definitely buried the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking about compassionate leaders, and we all in our lives have these leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're, we're parents or we are managers in a company, or we're captains of a starship, or, you know, you're the friend that always makes the plans. <laughs> mm. It is a leadership role. It is, and I'm making this face right now, which, you know, you can see because my, my, not my microphone, my microphone does work, but also my video camera works. I'm going to um, get mine fixed for your birthday. It's going to be so beautiful. Happy um, birthday. But yeah, no, being the one to make the plans is not fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the, with great power comes great responsibility and with great responsibility comes pains in the ass, right? It's it's hard to be. Yes, a that's that's how Uncle Ben would have finished it up if he hadn't died in the car. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. if Uncle Ben had stuck with us, right? He'd, uh, right. That's, that's where he if he'd ma- if he'd made it back for season five, like Scott Bakula did for NCIS New Orleans, <laughs> coming up next episode. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, it's hard to be a compassionate leader. Uh, and so I'm glad that you brought up gargoyles because I do think of Goliath as being a very compassionate leader. Um, he is. No, he is. He just like, and this didn't stand out to me as much when I was a, when I was a young Spockling watching this show, <clears throat> but okay. as an adult watching it, like Goliath is so like he's such a square man. Oh, 
He yeah. is such a square. <laughs> and he speaks in this like deep, resonant voice. And mm-hmm. there's at like five minutes into the episode, there's always a moment where he he not that dissimilar from really at all of like the different like team leads of the CIA CSI CSI and NCIS family, like the whole the SI ilk, if you will. There's one leader <laughs> and like before it goes to credits, they always stand up and they make some kind of pronouncement, right? I think most memorably David Caruso did this and CSI Miami, maybe? Miami. Mm-hmm. Anyway, five minutes into the ep, Goliath is always like, team, we must do something, 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 because we are gargoyles. <laughs> oh, that makes me think of um, M- Megatron in Transformers. Is he the main Transformer, Brian? Optimus Prime. Optimus, Optimus Prime. Yes, yes, yes. Similar to Optimus Prime. Yeah, because uh, the he does that a lot in the cartoons and then in the movie that Michael Bay made. Uh, he does this whole speech at the end of that first Transformers film where he legit says, because we are more than meets the eye. Uh, what, where were we? Goliath... Optimus we were talking Prime. About, yeah, mm-hmm. we we went from Goliath to Optimus Prime. We're mm-hmm. we're making this episode very hard for Brian to edit. We really are. And I'm also like probably at this point, well, it depends like if this is your first episode that you're listening to, listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a lot like this. Um if this is not your first episode, you're going to be you're going to be nodding right now and be like, "Yeah, this is this is a, it's a lot like this." With them. <laughs> um because really the fandom that we had chosen to use as a a good metaphor for this idea of compassionate leadership and how it's challenging to be a leader very much timed with boss's day um Mm -hmm. was the lego movie (laughs) but we stuck with children's programming we did so in some ways related 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 very much related yeah but we but we chose the lego movie because of president business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, full disclosure, we obviously weren't being on, we weren't sticking with children's programming just now because we were trying to organically lead to the Lego movie. This was very much an accident. But as I'm, th- <laughs> as I'm thinking through how this happy accident occurred, I'm thinking about children's programming and what, what kinds of themes tend to speak to children. Mm. I'm thinking about how, like, as a child, you are often... You are rarely in a leadership role. So true. You know, like hopefully you're you don't feel like you're in you're in the role of like a serf, right? Um, uh, hopefully not. Although some children do. Although some children, unfortunately, yes, very much so. Um, but like even even if you have a like a, a very um, compassionate compassionate Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that was that was my my George Bushism for the year. <laughs> it's it's compassionate. You hear me? <laughs> Even if you have a very compassionate and loving family, <laughs> you are going to have that frustrating experience of constantly looking up at the leaders, mm-hmm. i.e., your core caregivers, who are telling you variations on the theme of what to do, how to be, when to show up. Yep. Yeah. And I, it is so interesting because we, this is not why we had planned 
to use the like we didn't go with the Lego movie because we're like, oh, d- play therapy. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, as I was watching or rewatching the Lego movie, mm-hmm. I've seen it many times uh, when I was rewatching it um, in preparation for this pod there there is a moment that is absolutely play therapy oh in that yes in that film mm-hmm. i mean like there's a lot of play therapy in there but there's a moment where play therapy is enacted yeah and that's will ferrell saying to his son if you know basically if emmett could the special uh construction worker right if he could say something I, right. I, I think that what he says is something like if a construction worker with a special piece could say something to me right now what would he say well he said to president business because yes not to that's him. true to president mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. yeah and i was just like oh my god it's play therapy yeah and then the kid gives a beautiful impassioned speech via chris Emmett. pratt via chris pratt voicing Emmett. The construction worker with the very special piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you have not watched the Lego movie, we're going to roll spoiler it for you. Yeah. So if that's important to you, be aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this moment right here, bloop, this is where I'm going to spoiler it. Um, I remember watching this in the theater and I actually at the time as it was happening, I was like, I don't like this. And then after I sat with it for a minute, I was like, oh, my God, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I didn't like was when Emmett, the the character, the construction worker with the special piece, falls through a magic portal and winds up in the real world. Sure. And I was like, I don't like this. This is dumb. And then I was like, oh, this is what's happening. <laughs> Because I thought they were going somewhere else, right? I was like, yes. don't don't break the fourth wall. That's dumb. And I was like, oh, no, we're talking about the 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 vibrant and magical imagination of children. Mm-hmm. And how children, okay. much like adults, <laughs> use stories to both make sense of their world and process through really challenging emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what's happening in this film is... <laughs> Uh, Will Ferrell, the dad in the real world, who is, spoilers, president business in the Mm -hmm. Lego world, has built all of these beautiful Lego creations in his basement. Yeah. I I think he's an architect. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. the movie ever explicitly says it, but I think that's what's happening. And And he's making these huge, elaborate models in the basement. He's, like, clearly overtaken the basement. Um, very much with the implication that this used to be a place that was a place of play, but now it's just a place of business, architecture yeah. business, president business. Hmm. Yeah. I I I like that image of it because I was just picturing him being like one of those dads that is trying desperately to have play in his life, mm. but knows that there are only certain permissible ways for adults to play. Mm. Um you know, with it, without breaking social mores. And sure. so he was like, these Legos are mine. <laughs> these Legos are my playtime. <laughs> wow. That feels very you that you interpreted it that way. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that you as an adult are, you are more self-actualized around 
the importance of play for all humans at all ages. So mm -hmm. it makes sense to me that you were like, okay, dad is far enough along on his journey that he recognizes that dads need to play too. Mm -hmm. But he's taken, to, taken it to an unhealthy extreme because <laughs> of adult indoctrination. <laughs> Whereas I read it as, well, dad is, dad is so far at the beginning of his journey that mm. he, he, like, his drive to play is still very much in the unconscious. We're both right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's one of those, one of those, one of those times, yeah. <laughs> the thing that is different for us is that, well, I mean, there are all kinds of things that are different, but the thing that, like, I was noticing while you were talking about your experience when you saw the Lego movie in the theaters is that your initial reaction was, I don't like this, and mm -hmm. then you were like, I love this. And yeah. I have found that, for me, with the Lego movie, I loved it. I really loved it. The Like, when I first saw it, the entire time, it was so great. And as time mm -hmm. has gone by, my love has waned. Huh. And I think my love has waned because of what often happens for me, which is my critical lens. And so as, as I've had time to be with the Lego movie, my critical lens has also had time to be with the Lego movie. And so though I think the Lego movie does a lot of things really, really well, um, it's, it's a little more normative than I think I like my sure. stories to be at this stage in my life. And I mm -hmm. also, like, where, whereas the first time I saw it, I thought it was really funny, the way Dad was like, well, we know, like, this means that your, your sister has to be allowed to play here, too. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, good job. Like, Dad's really continuing to grow and expand. This is great. And I thought it was very funny the way that it was Duplos that show up. Which, <laughs> for those of you who are not parents and or don't, didn't really play with blocks as as a child and or played with blocks at a time that was like pre-duplos because i think those are a little bit newer maybe yeah um, i didn't have duplos that wasn't i didn't thing. i didn't either they're basically like legos but just like bigger blocks so they're for mm -hmm. you when you are a younger human and you're still at a choking risk because you're putting a lot of things <laughs> in your mouth so at first I was like very charmed by the way they wove the little sister in but then I mm -hmm. didn't like it the way and it was played for laughs, and I very much appreciate that I'm taking this a little bit too seriously in some ways here, but I didn't love the way it's like, now here comes little sister from Planet Duplo, and she's going to destroy everything. Mm. So you're, you're talking about Lego Movie 2. Um, well, I didn't see Lego Movie 2. This is like oh. the end of Lego Movie 1. Okay, and, if this and... is your feeling, you're not going to yeah. like Lego Movie 2. No, I didn't think I would, which is why I didn't watch it. <laughs> <coughs> Yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get that. I actually, I didn't like that it meant Little Sister was now allowed to come down here. Mm. Because for me, I was like, oh, we now have this father-son connection. We have now made this specific parent-child connection. Sure. And why can't we maintain this specific parent-child connection without like changing it immediately you know like absolutely yeah. we could have we could have sister come in after this relationship is established but we haven't even established this relationship we didn't even fin finish this conversation sure sure but if dad's struggling to parent older brother he's probably also struggling to parent younger sister 
And I'm glad that he's aware that he needs to show up in different ways for both children. And I appreciate that having some nuance in the different ways to show up would be important, mm-hmm. you know, to like to bring it back around. You know, the ways that you probably need to be a supervisor to me is probably very different from the way you need to be a supervisor to Bones, for example. Mm, yeah, so true. Um, you and I have a far more collegial relationship, whereas Bones needs a lot more tending. And uh, Bones, I do stand by that if you're listening right now, and I'm not taking it back. (laughs) You know he doesn't listen. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's fair. But, you know, I I like to plan for all contingencies. (laughs) Yeah, but you're right. It is is different. We we have different leadership roles in different parts of our life. Mm -hmm. Like the, the way that... Maybe you are a parent is different than the way that you are a supervisor at work. God, I hope so. Is also different than the way you wrangle friends to make plans to go to dinner. Mm-hmm. Which it can be surprisingly hard to do. That's fair. <laughs> and it, it can. And it also, like, it's reminding me that when you are a parent of more than one child mm-hmm. and both children spend most of their time like living in the family space with you that it it can be even more challenging to kind of incorporate some of these parental nuances and i'm also reminded um because back in the day i did what i did predominantly with folks was like a play therapy with children and working with families um there are certainly some you know play therapists and and family therapists who think that there should be one way that you parent and you parent the same way for each child mm-hmm so that it minimizes confusion and fosters a feeling of fairness. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that, I do, but I think the other issue, and I think you're actually speaking to this very directly with the way you responded to the introduction of Little Sister at the end, is that what older brother needs in the Lego movie is different from whatever Little Sister needs. Correct. And the idea that Little Sister is going to be able to fully engage in a way that's going to feel fun to her, let alone is going to be not so much respectful, but it's going to be able to like maintain this play space that father son have created. The idea that she's going to be able to like seamlessly like show up and integrate and be a part of that is silly. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they're at very different developmental stages. Yeah. I mean, they don't tell us how old little sister is, but based on her duplos, we can mm-hmm. guess that she's still at swallow things age. Right. So we're talking gonna like, be like, like three to four, maybe Yeah, five. three to four. Mm-hmm. Four, four minus that <laughs> yep. less than symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone who's that age versus brother who seems to be about like seven or eight. Yeah. Uh, they're at different developmental stages. They need different things. Yeah. And and so, like, I, friends at home, I recognize that we are doing a deep dive into the psychological reasoning behind Will Ferrell's choices. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Uh, but that's kind but, of what we do here. But that's kind of what we do here. <laughs> so, you know, welcome aboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it it, it would have made... It would have made sense for him to make different choices. Yes. For for him to say, you're right, son. I, I'm going to put the craggle away because the craggle is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And you're right, every part is special, and that means we are special, and that means little sister is special too. And how do we include her in our play in some way? Mm-hmm. Not if you get to come down here, so is little sister. Right. Because the other thing too that, or rather the point that it very much feels like the that's, the son is trying to make via his Lego character, Emmett, is that while he is changing dad's own play therapy construction downstairs, <laughs> he, is, is an, he is also at an age where he's able to be respectful of the space if dad mm-hmm. takes the time to explain it to him. Yeah. Like, dad doesn't need to completely take over and take control. He can sit down and talk with son about, like, okay, like, like remember, I, I, don't, I don't know, like, we'll, we'll throw his exact words, but he's like, and did you carefully and methodically lift off the top of the tower and set it aside so as not to break anything? Right? Because he's seen that, like, his son has changed the models, right? And he's trying to imply that, like, you could do it carefully, son, and I really hope that that's the choice that you made. And here's the thing. Because of where son's at developmentally, son can make that choice. Mm-hmm. He can and- make that choice and he can be respectful to dad's things if dad takes mm-hmm. the time to explain the yeah. how, the why. So I, th- I think you misinterpreted that scene just a little bit. Sure. I agree with, I agree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But that scene goes more like, dad says, where's the top of the tower? And kid's like, I accidentally moved it. And dad's like, you accidentally, methodically, strategically yep. moved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kid's like, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're right. I think, I think that very much like what that scene is attempting to convey is like son accidentally toppled the tower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, he's, and he's trying to dress up that truth. <laughs> and dad is like really overwhelmed by that by that dressed up truth because he knows what the actual truth is and he's trying not to be a bad dad like thanos even though this movie came out well before thanos well thanos came out in the film thanos is canon in the comic canon in the comic book so maybe dad did he was thinking of that um so he was trying to be chill but nonetheless like i do like but nonetheless like son could figure out what things to be respectful of what things were okay to like very carefully take off and move Mm mm-hmm at seven or eight, in a way that little sister at three to four. No, that's no, 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 no. I, you know, it's son, at least he understands the different places mm-hmm. and he he finds joy in crossing them. But he knows, but he knows that there are boundaries. He's just exploring boundary crossing. Right. And you and I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's one of the main ways that children learn that a boundary is there. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's kind of like, you know, when you're sort of like literally testing your environment, like if you've ever been, you know, if you've ever been around a bunch of toddlers and you, you set them down in a new space, part of what they do is they start feeling and touching everything because mm-hmm. they want to get a sense of what are the borders, what's happening here, what's in the space, how can I interact with it? How's it going to interact with me? And mm-hmm. Kids do that with all kinds of are like like non corporeal rules and boundaries, and they do it by like crossing it. And they're like, "Well, okay, what's going to happen?" Right. If I put a dragon from Middle Zealand in uh, Cloud Cuckoo Land, 
Right. What happens? Well, what I've learned is dad gets mad. Right. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. And this, this crosses from the Lego realm into the IRL realm. Because what is kid learning? Kid is learning, if I cross dad's boundaries, I get in trouble. Right. But here's the thing. And I think this is implied in the film. <clears throat> because dad is around not as much. Mm-hmm. Part of what Sun wants is for dad to be emotionally showing up. And the yeah. emotion part is key because as human beings, part of how like we form connections with our emotions, that's, that's why we have them. It's not just mm-hmm. because emotions make us sad and mad and sometimes smad. It's because mm-hmm. they're the building blocks of interpersonal connection. And so son is going to be making all kinds of bids for dad's attention. And if dad is not around very much, and the only time he's around, he's showing up with anger. Son is probably going to be moving towards doing things that elicit dad's anger because at least it keeps dad present and it keeps dad feeling. Sure. It keeps dad invested. Yes. Yeah. The opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Right. Yeah. Which is why it's so great at the end of the film when dad is like, son... What would your your construction worker say to President Business? Because he mm-hmm. he's using his son's language, he's meeting him at his level, and he's showing up in a in a much more emotionally nuanced and present way. Yeah, well, and he will the Will Ferrell character has figured out in that moment, like I'm being a dick. <laughs> I'm I'm not being a compassionate leader. I'm not being the compassionate leader of my family, the compassionate leader of my children, which, you know, in many things, you and I talk about the importance of not having hierarchies, but families are one of those places where we really fucking need them. Like, parents need to be above children in a hierarchical structure, because that's developmentally appropriate. And I know that... Some of this flies in the face of more recent um, thinking around attachment parenting. Mm. And attachment parenting is very much, like, just to give like a brief synopsis, it moves from the idea that we should be paying attention to our children and how they're showing up, and children should lead. And... I'm going to real I'm going to make my bias very clear right now that while I think yes we should be getting down on our kids level the way mm-hmm. that Will Ferrell dad does in Lego movie and trying to use our children's own language and relate to them in a way that they really understand and using the power of play and stories is a great way to do that the idea that children should take on the role of president business no I I think I think it's really unhealthy for kids because I think then we we move into that role of parentification which is what it sounds like child takes on the role of caregiving and caretaking for the parent and they're put into situations that are not developmentally appropriate they're tasked with trying to take care of things that they're not capable to take care of because of their age they feel overwhelmed but they feel invested and overwhelmed plus invested plus holding things that don't belong to you equal failure and shame. Yeah, I I would agree that that's my bias as well is that we we want to 
understand the the minds of kids but but we cannot put kids in positions of power because it's unfair they don't have the skills right it using a a business analogy we're not going to have the the person that just started in the mailroom go up to the ceo's office and the ceo's like who knows a bunch of shit because he's been the ceo for 20 years I'm not gonna say so mailroom guy who literally just got here what do you think about this 30 billion dollar business deal mailroom guy is gonna say whatever mailroom guy is gonna say but it's it's not based on life experience and having screwed things up before and figured them out and having successes and failures and other people he's talked to like it's it's unfair to say to a child do this thing um i don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole but i've worked with so many folks who are parentified and so much of what they describe is it just wasn't fair that i was asked to do these things mm. I didn't know how to do them. And I realized mom and dad didn't know how to do them either, but they had resources and I didn't. I, I can't be their resource. I'm the new guy in the mailroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to do a callback to our Baby Yoda episode, right? Mm-hmm. Like Baby Yoda is a beautiful, bright, shining star mm-hmm. and capable of so many amazing things and uh, heals Carl Weathers' arm. <laughs> and that's amazing. And hopefully the Mandalorian used all kinds of affirming and empowering language to talk to Baby Yoda about <laughs> the way that he healed Carl Weathers' arm. But it would be grossly inappropriate for the Mandalorian to turn to Baby Yoda and be like, okay, now you're the arm healer, and that's your role in this family system. And anytime anybody gets a hurt arm, it's your job to emit, to like respond to it, tend to it, treat it, and come up with a healing action plan. And ignore whatever you were doing a second ago. Right. You must immediately abandon whatever you were doing because you're the arm healer. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I'm not. No. I'm not. <laughs> no. If hierarchies feels like language that is um, negative or punitive or any way, I think also it can be helpful to think of like the, the student, like, student to teacher relationship. Mm. Right? Because student is there to learn and get skills. Mm-hmm. Teacher is there to help student learn and get skills. Right. Yeah. And sometimes, actually many, many times, the student winds up teaching the teacher something just by them showing up in the world as their authentic selves. Yes. But then we don't hand the ruler and the apple to the child and say, now teach the class forever. Right. Right. There is a there is a way to honor how we each have things to teach each other while also respecting the, by also respecting like develop the, the developmental trajectory mm-hmm. and acknowledging the difference between like age and experience mm-hmm. like a, a, a leadership role can be 
really helpful and productive and supportive. It doesn't have to be like our current president. Mm. Yeah, that's hard. Yes. Well, and, you know, we're talking today about compassionate leadership. And so that's that's a legit direction mm-hmm. because uh, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, I challenge you to tell me that our current president is compassionate and leading with kindness first. Right. And the well-being of others first. Mm-hmm. And has the ability to respect the dignity of another human, including a human who holds a different opinion, such as a human who doesn't enjoy watching Fox News. <laughs> yeah, not fair. again, like not making a value judgment about that choice. But the, the, it, it's compassion is the ability to look at another person and see that they are making a different choice from you, that they maybe enjoy something or don't enjoy something that is very important to you or not important to you, and allow that person space to exist in a different way mm-hmm. and respecting that difference. Yeah. We don't have to agree to a- allow. Like, I, I talk to couples about this all the time. Like, you don't have to agree with your partner to validate their feeling about it. Right. Right? And, and I also talk about this sometimes, too, and I get, sometimes I get a fair amount of pushback about this, but I mm-hmm. also don't think, I don't think you need to, to in, immediately understand where a feeling is coming from. Oh, no. Especially in the heat of the moment, in the heat of some type of conflict, it's probably going to be very hard for you to understand where this feeling from your partner is coming from but Mm -hmm. you can acknowledge that it exists and is real yeah yeah absolutely we're not agreeing and we and we probably don't get it right like i don't know why you're so upset but clearly you are so upset Mm -hmm. and so i see that and what do you need right you know like i didn't really understand when you wrote that memo about hip hop music, both, <laughs> um, I don't know, coinciding with you a- entering and exiting the bridge. I mean, like, <laughs> I understood how we could make it happen. I did not understand why you thought it would be a good and pleasant idea, nor did I understand why you took the time to type it all out and send it to everyone. But I, I knew that you did it because it was important. Hmm. And so even though I didn't understand where you were coming from, and also disagreed with this idea (laughs) i was at the start of the episode attempting to release my own stronger frustrated feelings before i came to talk to you about it because i wanted to make sure that i could come from a, a genuine place of compassion i could say sir i understand you put a lot of thought into typing up this memo and sending it out i don't know if this is the way we want to go Mm-hmm. It is causing me feelings of distress. Can we talk about it? Yeah. Well, and this is a good example because while we are colleagues mm-hmm. on this ship, I am technically the captain and you are my first officer. Thank and God. So there, is a, so there is a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Right? And that would imply that I've created a safe enough environment 
where folks who work for me feel that they can say things and disagree with me and it's mm -hmm. not the end of the world. And, and that's what we want in any situation where we're either we are leaders or we are working with leaders. We want a position where we are safe to talk to or we feel safe to go talk to that person and disagree with them and know that this is a safe enough container that like, yeah, it might be uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but this isn't going to be the end of the world. Nope. Um, this is not going to be a children's example. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm glad that you've led with that right out of the gate. Please continue. I led with that right out of the gate. Well, because <clears throat> as I was thinking about other situations with this um, specifically parent-child dynamic, sure. mm -hmm. um, of course, supernatural is what comes to my mind because right. does it ever not come to my mind? The answer, friends, is no. Right. Um because that that was a situation where the person in charge, i.e. John Winchester, mm -hmm. was not a safe person to disagree with. One Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I mean, Silver Fox. Right. <laughs> right. Which is why it's one, <laughs> one of the many reasons it's so frustrating to see him on Supernatural, because I'm like, <clears throat> you're such an attractive man, and yet you're also such an asshole. <laughs> And I'm saying it out loud. I'm like, yeah, those two things sometimes go together because we mm -hmm. sometimes have a harder time holding boundaries with a person we find attractive. We absolutely do. And especially a person we find charming. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, I mean, this is a whole nother app on narcissism. Sure is. Um, but that's, that's part of how folks who deal with narcissism tend to get their way because they're attractive. They're charming. You want to be around them. Yeah. And you're like, eh, sometimes they're terrible, but, mm. um, but anyway, John Winchester. But sometimes they're so, they're so nice and attractive. And then they also get you because it's that intermediate positive reinforcement. So it's like playing a slot machine. You never yeah. know when you're going to make it big. <laughs> well, and that's, that's sort of how poor Sammy and Dean were living is, you know, when's dad going to be okay? When's dad going to be terrible? Um, and the, this surprisingly, oh, that's so true. I know. And this surprisingly ties in with the idea of the Lego movie. And here's why, mm -hmm. because John really believed he was doing what was right. Yes. He, he believed that he was doing what was best for his family. Mm -hmm. Um, but what he was really doing was what was best for himself. Right, but because he can, he he believed, he believed that what was best for him was best for his family, which is, as I'm saying it out loud, very narcissistic. Um, it really yeah. helped to foster that blind spot for him. Mm -hmm. And then when I think about Dean, who was the older brother, I think part of what happened to Dean, and this is also very common for parentified children, is that. Because of dad's inconsistent positive reinforcement, you know, sometimes he would show up and be this really great dad. Mm -hmm. Dean fell into the trap of there must be something that I can do that will make dad show up as good dad. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes he listens to me. 
sometimes, and I'm gonna mix fandom metaphors here, sometimes he puts down the craggle and we have a really good restorative play therapy session. <laughs> but right. sometimes he locks me in a hotel room for two days with my brother. And then when I leave to go get food because it's been two days and my little brother runs away, he shows up and yells at me and is not willing to hold space for the fact that I'm doing the best I can because I'm 12. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm pretty sure there was some sort of demon in that episode. Yes. Well, it is supernatural. <laughs> but, you know, replace demons with just some horrible person they encountered on the road. And basically, uh, that that's someone's life. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> I realize that this got really, uh, this, this got really bummer. I mean, it got a little dark, um, but that's what happens when you bring in Supernatural. Um, they always use the gritty filter when filming. And, <laughs> and they're it, in Vancouver. And they're in Vancouver, so it's so rainy. Um, but I think, I think in these last few minutes, we can gently kind of, re, kind of shift, shift back, you mm -hmm. know, to that more... Um, more whimsical space right we can go back mm -hmm. to the lego movie and really like lego movie is i always am gonna have a soft spot for it because it is so high on whimsy mm -hmm. um and it also introduced will arnett as lego batman which is a gift that just keeps on giving have we done a whole episode on lego batman yet i mean he heavily featured in the episode about you becoming batman mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have to go back and check the archives to see if we've, we've done a full Lego Batman episode. We might have, because it might have been around the time we were writing the Joker chapter two. But like that whole period, that whole period of 2019 is in my memory. It has the Vancouver <laughs> because everything just felt so hard mm -hmm. and sad. Yeah, everything did feel hard uh, when when I was rewatching Lego movie. Uh, I my my partner was hanging around, and he was like, "Why aren't we watching Lego Batman?" I'm like, "Cause we're not talking about that one." He Fair. was like, "But it's the best one." <laughs> it is. It is the best one. Um, and you know, mm -hmm. now that I'm sitting with it, sure, it could it could also work on this topic because Batman mm -hmm. was a leader. Mm. He was not a great leader until he learned how to listen to the people around him. That's true. Mm-hmm. So. That's very, that's very, very true. And he also, he's such a great um, encapsulation of what happens to adults who had very hard childhoods and didn't get their needs met and didn't figure out how to address that into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, because then they have Bruce Wayne, Lego Batman, who's like, well, but you should be nice to me because things have been really hard for me. Hmm. And it's like, yes, that's true. And Robin is an act is, is a child right now. You were a child back then. Right. And the roles and responsibilities are different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, I mean, eventually he figures it out. He does. He does. And part of it is <clears throat> he learns how to do the both end of how to be compassionate to himself. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because initially he has that piece of the parentified child where they don't know, they don't know how to see themselves as a child because they weren't treated like a child in their formative Mm -hmm. years. So he has to go back and kind of retroactively like reclaim his own baby Yoda, his own Mm -hmm. baby Bruce Wayne and be like, wow, a lot of bad things happened for us and that wasn't fair. He extends compassion for himself. So then he can extend compassion to Robin and Batgirl and Joker, you know, no. who, were, who were his his son, his daughter, despite some of those creepy sexual overtones. But that's a topic for another discussion and day. <laughs> and and his romantic life partner, the Joker. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, OK, we've been all over town. <laughs> yes, we have. Uh what what do we want people to take away today um that hierarchies are sometimes appropriate hmm mm-hmm. and that if you are in a position of power step 1 is to pause and take stock and think about and try to kind of get information about how you feel like you're doing, what's your experience of yourself as a leader. Mm-hmm. And also, what are other people's experiences of you as a leader? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really fair. And literally, just as you were saying that, <laughs> this, this huge world opened up to me. Yeah. Which, which is the, the role of the therapist. Yeah. Right. Like that. We do our very, 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 very best. You and I specifically to squash that hierarchy. That mm-hmm. That's not every therapist's jam. Some therapeutic relationships are very hierarchical. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are always in a position of power. We are always the people in the big chair. Right. And and being mindful of of the power and the responsibility it's we can never lose sight of it right because heavy hangs the shoulders that wear a blazer <laughs> do you wear blazers um sometimes i bought myself one as a gift this fall <laughs> it's a herringbone blazer <laughs> do you put like pins on it Oh, I haven't yet, but, you know, maybe I will. Like a dumpster fire pen? Oh, that's a good idea, because you did, you did gift me that. And I've I been did. wondering where to put it. Put it on your plate, sir. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, stuff we talked about today. We talked about compassion and family systems and play therapy and couples therapy and we didn't mention this, but Hierarchies is from our pal, Sal Mnuchin, mm. who was a structural family therapist. <clears throat> Sal Mnuchin. <laughs> or as Anne Ramage would say, Sal Mnuchin. <laughs> Pour one out for Sal <coughs> a few years ago. Uh- <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, we also, we talked about a whole bunch of fandoms we didn't mean to talk about today. Yeah, that's true. That's real. Okay, so we talked about the Lego movie and Supernatural. And Gargoyles and the Shakespeare King's plays and the, not the Danish play 
or the Dutch play, <laughs> but the Scottish play, a.k.a. Macbeth, which I can say because I'm not in a theater. And Transformers. And Transformers. <laughs> oh. Whew. Thanks for hanging with us, friends. <laughs> we may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. You rule this podcast with an iron mic. Join us for our next app on When Your Drug of Choice is Freedom. Be sure to support us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and the very best way that you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and pretty please review us on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. It really makes a big difference. And in case you don't already follow us on social media and you haven't heard, we are working on a book. We are turning the Starship Therapies podcast into a book. So you want to be sure to keep up with everything that we're doing as just another great reason to hang out with us on our social media so that you find out when the book's coming out. And as always, friends, live, live long, long and, and prosper. prosper.